Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the City Baptist Church podcast. This week's message is from our current teaching series, The Called, God at Work Through His People. In this series, we will follow the lives of Elijah and Elisha, ordinary men who were called to stand for the one true God in a pagan and godless society. We would love to have you join us for a service in person. You can find all the information you need on our website at citybaptist.church. Oh man, that's the worst, isn't it? <laughs> I tell you what, uh, that's one of the things that, um, man, I, I, I really hate doing, and I've had to do it a few times. It seems like anytime I have to book a flight, I don't know what it is what that comes over me, but I just sort of panic a little bit. I don't know what it is, especially if you order uh, recently or last year, I guess, Jeanette and I went to uh, a concert thing, and, uh, and uh, I was booking it online. I think I was on Ticketmaster or something like that, you know, and, and I, I finally, like after agonizing for days and watching the price rise, I finally am like, today's the day I'm going to book it, you know, and so I go in and I pick out our seats, and I'm like, I don't know, I should, what's a mezzanine, you know, all these things we're trying to figure out, and where do we want to sit, and finally I go, all right, reserve, and then on the website this big clock comes up you have five minutes to you know th- and before we release your tickets you know and it's like counting down and it's just right there on the website and I, and then I start to second guess everything again you know I'm like I don't know maybe this isn't the right seat maybe we should back out maybe we should try something else and uh it just highlights my insecurity I guess and and highlights all of this nervousness that I have and so especially when I book flights I don't know how many flights I've booked and then or tried to book and then I'm like no no I'll do it tomorrow you know and then the price goes up and all of this and it keeps changing and I get so nervous and I have to make a decision but the problem is is that most most of the time what happens, just to be honest with you, most of the time I get ready to do it and then I don't do it. I don't make that decision. I don't, I don't book it. I wait. And then guess what happens? I pay for it later on. I've paid so much more for flights than I really should have if I just booked it the first time. So guaranteed, if you know I'm going on a trip somewhere, you just know I paid more for that ticket than I should have because <laughs> I waited too long. You know, I should have booked it earlier on. And, uh, but the thing is, what happens is that I can't handle the pressure. I get nervous. I get insecure. I'm not sure if the people I'm booking tickets for are actually going to pay me back. You know, you're thinking about all these things. If I book it, I'm trying to calculate taxes, what I got to tell everyone if I'm booking for a group or whatever it may be. And I get so nervous and I stop and I don't make the decision and then I end up paying for it later on because even though at the time I'm thinking, oh, I'll just put the decision off, what I'm doing is I'm actually making a decision, am I, right? By not making a decision, I'm making a decision. I'm, I'm maybe setting the tone for something that's gonna happen uh, later on and so I back out and it seems easier to not make the choice but even though I'm not making a choice, I'm making a choice. Do you understand what I'm saying? Maybe you've had a situation like that in your life where you're like, I'm just going to put it off, I'm going to put it off, and then by putting it off, you made the decision for yourself, didn't you? You went ahead and just did it, and, and then we usually, typically, we end up paying uh, for that. But oftentimes when we're faced with decisions, we want to make the right decision so badly uh, that we put them off, and we put them off, and we put them off, and then we eventually make a decision, and maybe we're not happy with that decision then at the time. To me, that's kind of how I look at the children of Israel right now and the situation they're in. See, the children of Israel now, for all of these years, coming up on 200 years, had been put in a position where uh, they had to make a decision, are we going to serve the one true God, or are we going to serve these false gods of Baal? And honestly, I don't know that necessarily they made the conscious decision that we're going to reject the, uh, reject the one true God, but they didn't reject the false gods. And so by default, by not rejecting and saying, no, we're not going to serve these false gods, by default, what happened is they eventually became a country that was divided. They eventually became a country that uh, in their faith became divided. Some were worshiping Baal. There were a few that were out there that were still worshiping Jehovah and the one true God. But they hadn't necessarily rejected him, but they certainly weren't following them. And so by default, this is who they became. 
a country that was filled with wickedness, with sin, and a lot of just terrible things that were going on. Now, sometimes it happens in our life, doesn't it? Sometimes we don't put off getting our sin right with the Lord. Sometimes we don't, uh, we don't make decisions for the Lord, and so we find ourselves in a stagnant place. But the thing that I want us to see out of this whole passage here with the Lord is that even though his people had not made a decision, even though by default they had sort of fallen into this pagan worship, and, and some of them willingly, of course, had gotten into it, God still never gave up on them. And that's what I love about our God. He still never gave up on them. And so he brought things into the life of Israel, the divided kingdom, of course. There's the northern kingdom of Israel, and then there's the southern kingdom of Judah. And uh, between those two kingdoms, uh, uh, by far, the northern kingdom was the most, most wicked. And so God sent some things to them to get their attention. First of all, he sent a drought. And then subsequently, a famine came from that drought. And so they were suffering through that and, and trying to figure out what was going on. That's how we started out our series a few weeks ago. And then God sent Elijah to them as well. And Elijah's purpose was to point people back to the one true God and to get their attention. And he, of course, had gone to uh, King Ahab. He had warned him of what was going on. And his whole introduction to being a prophet of God was how he went to Ahab, he warned Ahab, and then God took him to a place of total dependence. And that's what we've talked about the last few weeks. God removed him from things, put him to a place where he had to depend completely on God and himself. And so this had all gone through. There was the widow woman. There was the son that we talked about last week, how God raised him from the dead. But all of this was God preparing Elijah for a confrontation. All of this that was going on was God uh, uh, confront or, uh, preparing Elijah for something bigger than he could ever imagine was going to happen. And that's what we're going to look at today. By the way, whatever you're going through right now, God may be preparing you for something bigger down the road. There may be something coming your way that you're not expecting, something that you're not even, it's not even on your radar right now, but God's preparing you through the situations you're in for that big thing. I don't know what it is. You don't know what it is, but he could be. And so look at your situation. Look at the trials. Look at the things that you're facing in that light. God is preparing you for something. I'll leave, I'll leave the judgment to him. I'll let him, the righteous judge, take care of it. But God, what are you trying to teach me through the situation? What are you teaching me through the trials that I'm going in? Well, now it comes time for Elijah to find out what God was preparing him for. And the whole story begins with a really interesting exchange in 1 Kings chapter 18. And we're going to go down to verse number 16. So you're going to have to have your Bibles out for that. Go back, Lex. And uh, go back to that first one. There you go. Hey, Lex, I'll tell you when to change the next slide. Sound good? I'll say next. Does that work? That works. Okay, good. <laughs> I don't know what happened here. I'm going to see if I can get my, uh, get my thing to start, my app here to start working again. But anyway, uh, we're in verse number one of uh, 1 Kings chapter number 18. Okay, it says, and it came to pass after many days. So this is after the widow woman's son uh, was raised to life. So after many days, that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So this is really interesting, so stay with me. Make sure you're following along in your Bible, okay? Verse 2. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. So we already know this. There's a famine going on. And so he went to go find Ahab. And Ahab now, so now we zoom over to Ahab's house. Ahab called Obadiah. Take note of that name which was the governor of his house. So this guy, Obadiah, was the governor of whose house? Ahab's. All right. Hey, by the way, we're going to read all 46 verses of this chapter today. All right. So just, all right, good, good. Okay. <laughs> so you got to stay with me. All right. Uh, now, Obadiah, look at this. So in the house of Obadiah, the guy who ruled Ahab's house, the wicked king, Jezebel, Jezebel was there as well. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. So a guy who feared the Lord greatly was the head of Ahab's house. Huh. 
Didn't Jezebel kill 850 prophets of God earlier? You remember that? What is this guy doing? Interesting. For it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord. Sorry, I spoke too soon. That Obadiah took 100 prophets and hid them by 50 in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Now, at first sight, it looks like, oh, he, you know, God had an inside man. That's what it kind of looks like, you know. This guy's working behind the scenes. Ahab said to Obadiah, verse 5, Go into the land, unto all the fountains of water, and unto all brooks. Peradventure we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive, that we lose not all the beasts. What a weirdo. He's more concerned about the animals than the people. So they divided the land between them to pass throughout it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. And as Obadiah was in the way, he's on his way, behold, Elijah met him, and he knew him. He knew who he was. This is Elijah. And he fell on his face and he said, Art thou that my brother Elijah? And he answered him, I am. Go, tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, What have I sinned, that thou wouldest deliver thy servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me? As the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom whither my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. And when they said he is not there, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation that they found thee not. What was going on is Ahab had sent everywhere and asked all of these nations around, is Elijah here? And if they said, no, 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 Elijah isn't here, he wrote down, they said he wasn't there. With a plan for later on, if he was there, that, that nation was going to pay for hiding Elijah. And so that's why Obadiah is so nervous. He says, if I go and I say that I saw you, Ahab's going to kill me because he's going to think that I was hiding you. And I've already been doing some things. Look at what he says in verse number 10. Uh, verse number 11. And now, uh, now thou sayest, go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass, as soon as I am gone away from thee, that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry thee, whither I know not. So when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find thee, he shall slay me. But I, thy servant, fear the Lord from my youth. So he says, you're, I'm going to say, oh, this is where Elijah is. Uh, but then, you know, the Spirit of the Lord is going to move you somewhere, and you're going to fly away. And, you know, and then I'm never, and then I'm a dead man. I'm a dead man. And then look at verse 13. He says, was it not told my Lord what I did? When Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I hid, look what he's talking about, I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by 50 in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And now thou sayest, go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here, he shall slay me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him and Ahab went to meet Elijah. I just want to make a quick note on this exchange because this isn't the bulk of the message here, but a very quick note on what happened here. Obadiah in this passage is a picture to us of a compromising believer. I just want you to see that. He is a picture to us of a compromising believer and his life is in total contrast to the life of Elijah. I don't know if you notice it there, but Elijah, of course, was serving the Lord publicly and without fear. Obadiah, we see, was serving Ahab, but he was also secretly a follower of Jehovah. He had these two, these two different things that were going on here. Uh, he was trying to serve him secretly. Uh, Elijah was outside of the camp. Obadiah was inside the court. He was right inside of things. Elijah knew the will of God. Obad Obadiah didn't know what was going on. He didn't have a clue what was happening in the country. While Elijah was laboring to save the nation, Obadiah was looking for grass to save the horses and the mules. And when Elijah confronted Obadiah, he was frightened, he didn't trust the prophet, and then he bragged about the secret service that he had done for the Lord on the side. You see that? He's like, well, didn't you hear all the good things that I've done? He's, he's trying to promote. He's a picture to us of a compromising believer, someone who has uh, kind of living in the world on this side and someone who is living for the Lord sort of on this side. They're trying to have the best of both worlds. When they're with those of God, they brag about the things that they have done. And when they're with the world, they don't talk about God at all. 
you really think that if Obadiah had said he was a follower of Jehovah, that he would be the leader of Ahab's house? Oh, no way. Absolutely not. And so we see the picture of someone who's compromised his beliefs. He's, on, he's, he's trying to walk on two sides. I read an old proverb this week that says, the man who tries to walk two roads will split his pants. And, uh, and, I, and I thought that was perfect. That's what's happening. He's trying to walk in two different things, and there's trouble that's going to be coming. Here's the thing. We've got to be willing to just choose Christ. We've got to be like Elijah here, who even though things weren't always the best for him, even though uh, he faced great persecution, he still was willing to at least put himself in a position of vulnerability to serve the Lord. And we've got to be willing to choose Christ, live for him, and for him only. And so this is going to tie into the next passage that we're going to see here. But the stage is set now. Elijah is trying to meet up with Ahab. He tells Obadiah. Obadiah says, Elijah, this is where he is. Elijah said he would not be taken away by the Spirit of God. He'll be there. I'm ready to talk to Ahab. And what takes place over the next few days here, to me, is probably one of the most spectacular, exciting events in all of Scripture. I love this passage. Now, if you've been to church as a kid or whenever, you've heard this story. You've heard these things, and uh, to me, every time I read it, it's still an amazing thought. And so I hope in your minds you're going to go there with me today, okay? I mean, put yourself in the story. Put yourself there today, and I think we'll learn some really important things because God is trying to make a point to Israel. The point he's trying to make is that he is the one true God, and he's the one who's worthy of worship. And he's trying to make that point to us today, too. God is the one true God, and he is the only one who is worthy of your worship. And the thing about God is that when he wants to make a point, he makes his point. And so we're going to see that here, beginning in verse number 17 and 18. Look, Lex, it's working for me. So I'll go ahead and take care of it. But you stay back there in case it dies, okay? Perfect. Verse 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? <laughs> Sorry, I was just imagining in my mind how this was going. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. He comes here and he calls him a troubler. He says, hey, are you the one who troubleth Israel? Interestingly, the word trouble, is, it means a person who brings pain and tragedy. And so he says to Elijah, you're the one who's bringing pain. You're the one who's bringing tragedy to Israel. And Elijah, in his normal just straightforward way of speaking says I don't think so it's you man it's you you're the one who's bringing trouble you're the one who's bringing tragedy now I'm paraphrasing here okay uh, he said you're the one who's doing it you and your fathers ahead of you the kings uh, from before who uh, you know followed after false gods it's all on you bro it's not on me it's on you you're the one who's bringing trouble to Israel but yet Ahab here is trying to blame the righteous for the trouble in the land by the way the, the the world will always blame the devout believer for the issues in this world if you get into our society today and you begin to look around and you see uh, some of the things that are happening that are stirring that people are talking about often you will find at the root of it people blame people of faith for it I found it so interesting they'll blame those who worship God uh, those who hold to biblical beliefs as the problem uh, the reason for all of the issues of this world it's just always going to be that way. So just we're okay with it, right? And that's what happens here. Elijah puts it in his face. He says, no way. It's of your own making. And then he doesn't even give Ahab a chance to respond. I love this. He knows the weakness of Ahab, by the way. In verse number 19, he says, now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, 450 and the prophets of the groves, 400 which eat at Jezebel's table. It must have been a huge table, right? <laughs> it shows, by the way, who's really in charge of things here. Jezebel's the one making things happen. 
So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. I, you know, when you see these kind of things, you always wonder what the other person was thinking, you know? Ahab or, or, or Elijah, when he said, I want you to get all the prophets, all 850 of them, the ones that replaced those prophets of God that were murdered by your wife. I wonder if he was thinking, man, 850 of these guys. This is, what's, Lord, what are you doing? Why did I say that? I don't know if he was like, bring all the prophets. Whoa, what did I just say, you know? What are you, tr- what, what are you trying to do, God? What's happening? I'm sure Ahab maybe was thinking, oh, finally, finally, finally Elijah's going to apologize. Maybe he was thinking that, you know? Maybe now Elijah, he wants everyone there because he's just going to bring back the rain and he's going to, you know, he's going to apologize for all the trouble that he caused and uh, things are just going to work out great. Maybe he thought that he was somehow going to try to bless Ahab. I don't know what they were all thinking, but they agree to this thing. Now, obviously we know Elijah was not going to bless him. (laughs) That was not going to be the case because here's what God is doing. God is bringing the people of Israel to a place of repentance before they could ever hope for the removal of his judgment off of them. And that's what he's doing. He's trying to bring them to a place of repentance, of being uh, right in front of their face, their sin, in order for the blessings to come. So often in our lives, we want God to bring blessings to us, but we're not willing to repent of the sin that's in our hearts. We're not willing to lay aside some of those things that are keeping us from serving him. And we're like, God, just bring on those blessings. Bring on those blessings, God. But before blessing, there's always repentance. There's always that uh, removal of, of, that, of that aspect that we're holding on to. And so you got to remember the suffering that they had been going through for three and a half years had not gotten their attention. And so God now in his grace is allowing this very public test to take place. To be honest, this was totally unnecessary, to be honest. This contest is about to happen because the fact is Baal hadn't proven anything, had he? I mean, the false gods hadn't proven a thing. They hadn't brought the rain back. They hadn't stopped any of the suffering. They weren't the ones that brought them from the pro- you know, into the promised land. It was the one true God. And so the people totally blinded to this are still worshiping these idols. But now uh, God here is going to kind of wake them up a little bit and have this showdown to prove that he is God and he alone is worth worshiping. So it all begins with a challenge to the hearts of the people. Look at verse number 21. God challenges their hearts. And Elijah came unto all the people, so the prophets and the people, and he said, And here's kind of the key verse for today. Just if you're going to focus in on anything, focus in on this section right here. How long halt ye between two opinions? How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. He says, why are you halting between two opinions? Now that word halt is very interesting. It means to limp. It also means to dance. (laughs) I thought that was kind of a funny thing. And so what he's saying is, is why are you kind of stumbling between two things? You know, have you ever ever said to somebody, stop dancing around the subject? You know, get to the point. All right, this is what we're getting. They're they're like, ooh, we love, you know, we're Jehovah, we're God. I won't dance for you today. That's the extent of it, by the way. And so uh, anyway, that's why I'm not allowed to do it. But um, uh, they're they're dancing, they're halting between these two things. And And he's making an illustration here. He's, he's telling them what he'd already experienced in Obadiah before, and he's saying, listen, you are people who are not fully committed to God, and you're not fully committed to Baal. You limp along, you dance between the two, whatever suits your needs at that time. But the day of reckoning was here. The day of reckoning was here. It was now time for them to make a decision. And Elijah makes the call to the people, and he says, listen, now is the time to decide. Either serve God or serve Baal. There is a time, I believe, in every, every single person's life 
where this question must be answered for yourself. Every single Christian must ask themselves this question, okay, if God be God, serve him, or if false idols are the true God that you're seeking, then go ahead and serve them. Now, I think you guys understand I'm not talking about physical idols and all of that. But as humans who were created by God to worship, we find it so easy and, and so easily we find things to put in the place of God. So many things that we put in front of our worship of God and they aren't even necessarily good things. But I want us to understand if there's anything that you put ahead of God and above your worship of God, you are only going to limp through life. That's all you're going to do. You're going to limp your way through life. That's why in Matthew 6, 24, he says, no man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. In context, this is dealing with the idea of money, but money often represents so many different things in our lives that we pursue, isn't it? We pursue so many different things, and Elijah told them, there can only be one God of your heart. There can only be one omnipotent, holy God. There's only one God who's worthy of your worship and your adoration. There's only one God that is deserving of your praise and your service. And so he says to them, if it is Baal, so be it. Stop worshiping Jehovah in your heart. Stop trying to remember aspects of your past faith and just go ahead and serve the false God completely before and, and, and completely give up on the worship of Jehovah. But if Jehovah is God, if he is the one that you should worship, then have no other gods before you. Love him with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and uh, just pursue him in that way. And so I got to ask us today, is your heart divided today? Like those people of Israel, is your heart divided? Are you serving two masters is the Lord of your life, uh, is Lord the God of your life, or are there other things? Is it your career? Is it the things that you're pursuing uh, in, in your life right now? Is your career the Lord of your life? By the way, only you can really know if that's true. But I've met many, many people who put their career above their worship of God because it becomes so important to them. It could be a relationship. It could be a, a desire for a relationship. It could be a home. It could be a pursuit of a home. It could be vehicles. It could be personal happiness. It could be just fulfilling the desires of your own flesh. But we so easily put things in front of our worship of God because if there is anything that is in the way of your love and pursuit of God, then I guess I'm going to say just like Elijah today, you might as well just give yourself to that. If you're willing to put it over your worship of God, you might as well just go all in. You know, if money is the thing that you desire above God, if money is the thing that sets the tone for your life, then serve money with all your life. Serve it with all your life. Pursue it with all your life. Do whatever you got to do to get more money. Do whatever you got to do. Cheat. Cheat if you have to. If, if it's going to be your God, right, do what you got to do. Put aside responsibilities. Make uh, uh, the pursuit of wealth, uh, allow it to consume you. Let it drive every single decision that you make. Don't give any of it away. Don't. Please don't. Make it your God. If that's truly your God, then serve it. If the approval of others is what you truly desire in life, sell out to it. Go for it. Seriously, go for it. That's what he's saying to us, isn't he? Some of you look nervous. Listen, do whatever you got to do to earn someone else's approval. Change your appearance. Change how you are. Be someone else. If that's really what you put above your worship of God, then you should go for it all the way. If Baal is, is God, then serve Baal wholeheartedly. If you're all about romance, if that's what you desire so much, this ethereal, fuzzy feeling in your life that you just want so much, go for it. Pursue it. 
Leave, us, leave aside responsibility, okay? Just, just put it to the side for a while and just go for it. If you think you can find it with someone who's close to you, then go for it. If it's somebody that you gotta pursue and change yourself to be, just go for it. If that's your idol, if that's your God, go for it. If sex is your idol, we don't wanna talk about this too much, do we? But in, in deep within our hearts, there's a desire for things sometimes, right? And people give themselves to that. And so what I'm saying, based on this passage, if sex is your idol, if sex is a thing that you are desiring above all else, go for it. Try the full gamut of sexuality. Go for it. Pursue it. Make your fantasies come true no matter what. No matter what, just go for it. Now, I know you're saying you're joking, right? Weird, huh? (laughs) Usually the pastor encourages us to put aside things. If Baal is God, pursue it. Don't limp between two different things. If that is truly what you desire, if that is truly the passion of your heart, go for it. God is saying you cannot be in between on these things. But on the flip side of things, if Christ is God, and if he is your savior, then go for it. (laughs) Serve him. (laughs) You're like, okay, good. That's what I want to do, right? I want to serve. Okay, think about it though. That's what he's saying to us. He's saying you got to choose. Charles Spurgeon said, if you're going to be saved, be saved all the way. Go for it. Go for it. I, I, I wrote this down. You know, most Christians today are trying to be a little in the world and a little into God. But they are enough into the world to be miserable in God and enough into God to be miserable in the world. Choose one, okay? Choose one and go all the way with it. I heard one pastor describe it this way. He said church oftentimes is like Halloween every Sunday where we get all dressed up, right? And we put on a mask and we come to church and we have this Christian, uh, you know, this Christian idea that we put on and we come and somebody says, hey, how are you doing? Oh man, I'm doing great. Praise the Lord. And then they go away and then we feel guilty because we just lied to them, right? Because things are not great. No, I struggle with sin all this week. I struggle with whatever it may be. And then we feel guilty because we lied. But because we put on our outfit, you know, like last night our boys were uh, dressing up and, and uh, you know, Owen, you know, he put on his Captain America mask and a man, Owen was Captain America. Didn't match what you say to him, you know? <laughs> Go put your pajamas on. Oh, I'm Captain America, you know? <laughs> Best pajama put on her ever, you know? And, and they get into this, but that's how we do as Christians, right? We dress up and we live this kind of, this thing. And God here is saying, you've got to choose because the fact is, is church is a terrible hobby to have. It's a terrible just interest. It really is. I mean, you come, you fight for parking, you sit in a crowded room, you know, there's all of these things that are going on. Somebody who you think doesn't know you at all yells at you for, a, you know, 45 minutes or so, <laughs> right? I mean, that's a terrible hobby, you know? That's something to just have a little, I, you see what I'm saying, right? It's a terrible thing to just have a little bit of interest in, not really committed to. But on the flip side of that, I mean, if you really do love the Lord, if you do really do want to serve him with your whole life, if you really do desire his, uh, his work, uh, his work in your heart, um, it changes everything. It makes it all worthwhile, doesn't it? Changes everything. The more that I pastor, I think the more convinced I am that the reason so many Christians struggle with their thoughts and their attitudes and discouragement and all of those things is because you're limping along through life. You're trying to please God, but you're not totally resisting the bales in your life. You're not totally resisting those things that uh, you're still trying to fulfill a bit of your own desires. James chapter four, verse four, he put it very strongly. He said, ye adulterers and adulteresses. 
Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And that's very strong, isn't it? Very strong, very pointed. And that's what Elijah is doing here. He's being, a very, he's being very strong here to these people. He's telling them, go all the way or not at all. Go big or go home. <laughs> fall, in much, uh, fall in love with Jesus so much that the aspects of your faith, like reading your Bible and coming to church and serving him and living for him and se- surrendering and giving, love God so much that those, th- those things become a pleasure, not a drag. <laughs> love him so much that it just becomes second nature to you. If you only approach the Christian life half-heartedly, it will never bring you joy. It will never bring you joy. And so he puts that question to the people. If Baal is God, then serve him. But if God, the Lord be God, then follow him. But look at what it says at that last part of that verse. And the people answered him, not a word. Full-on crickets, nothing. No one said anything. He made this great declaration from the God, from the God, from God, and it was dead silent. Nobody said a word. What a tragedy, right? What a tragedy. No one was like, yeah. <laughs> Nobody's like, I love Baal. Nobody said a word. Nobody said anything. And I really believe it's because they were seeing the double nature of their hearts at that time. There were some convictions starting to come, but you got to remember Ahab was right over there, Right? Those false prophets were right over there. Those false prophets who'd maybe invested in their life, intimidated them maybe, were right over there. And then we have Elijah over here. I see a lot of truth in their non-response because I see it in my own life as well. How often in times of great conviction, before getting right with the Lord, before following after him, we pause and we reflect on what maybe other people might say if we do follow through with that conviction. How many times has the Lord spoken to you about a decision, spoken to you about witnessing to a coworker, and you paused, and you maybe didn't say anything because you were then reflecting on what they might say, right? How many times has that happened to us? Happens to me all the time, by the way. <laughs> Happens to me all the time. And that's what I believe is going on in the hearts of the people. They were under conviction. They were, uh, they were confronted with this. They saw the double nature of their hearts, but they still saw over here Ahab and those false prophets, and they were concerned. And so they said not a word. So Elijah just keeps on going. Verse number 22. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. <laughs> but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now next week we're going to see a little bit of background behind that statement. We'll see what's going on in his heart by him saying, I'm the only one. We know later on God revealed to him there's 7,000 that had not yet bowed the knee to Baal. And we know, we know at least there's 100 hiding out in a cave, right? We know that much. But he says, I am the one. And truthfully, he was the only one standing up at the time. He said, I am the only one, but the Baal's prophets are 450 men. Of course, we know there was others who served. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, the two bulls, and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood and put no fire under and I will dress the other bullock, that's not put a, you know, a tie on it, but, you know, cut it in pieces as well, and lay it on the wood and put no fire under. So he says, we're going to have these two altars, we're going to put these huge uh, animals that have been cut in pieces, because you can't just lift them up and put them on there, cut them up, put them on there, and uh, we're not going to put any fire, but here's what we're going to do in verse 24, and call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. I like this. 
You see what he's doing here? The one who brings fire, let him be God. And the people answered and said, it is well spoken. (laughs) You are so well spoken, Elijah. (laughs) Verse 25. I think they weren't truly convinced, were they? They're still trying to figure out, okay. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first for ye are many. He's like, you got lots of you. I need some extra time because it's just me to cut this thing in half. I don't even have a saw. How am I going to do this thing? And call on the name of your gods and put no fire under. And they took the bullock which was given them. They dressed it. They called the name of Baal from uh, morning even until noon. From morning until the afternoon saying, oh, Baal, hear us. But look at this. I have this underlined. But there's no voice nor any that answered. There's no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped. Interesting. That word leap is the exact same Hebrew word as halt. Remember I said it means to dance? Okay. It's the same idea of stumbling of this sort of dance that they were doing. And it says they leaped upon the altar which was made. They were jumping on this altar and they're trying to bring down, you know, bring down fire. But here's the key. There was no voice, nothing Nothing at all. None that answered. Verse number 27. One of my favorite verses in the whole passage. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them. (laughs) And he said, you know, I just imagined him in a lawn chair, you know. He's got his iced tea, you know, and he's sitting there. He's got his big old beard, you know. He's he's kind of like Uncle Cy. You remember that TV show? uh, What is that show called? Duck Dynasty, you know. Okay, anyway, it's been off the air for a while. Anyway, um, so <laughs> that didn't relate at all. Okay, uh, look it up later on. But he's sitting there, you know, and he's, and, he's, and he's mocking them. He's heckling them. And he says, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is talking or he's pursuing or maybe he's on a journey. <laughs> Interesting. Or peradventure he sleepeth. And he must be awakened. Cry louder. And he's mocking them. You know? And Elijah, that guy told it like it is. I'm sure he probably said a few other things that I thought would probably be very funny. I wish it had uh, been in here. But he's basically smack-talking these guys. He's like, where is your God? In verse number 28. And they cried aloud. They get more serious now. And cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets. Notice how it says after their manner. This is what they did. Till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was past that they prophesied, uh, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice, nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. Do you see the sincerity and the devotion of these prophets of Baal? By the way, false religions always have very devoted people, don't they? But these guys were so devoted. I mean, they were cutting themselves, piercing themselves with lancets. They were, it said the blood was gushing out. They were pouring out their own blood to call, uh, call down this fire from heaven, from Baal, who they believed. And it was all the way to the point of exhaustion the entire day. But they're totally wrong. They're totally wrong here. And nothing happens. It does not matter how sincere you are. Okay. So many people say that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere in what you believe. Have them read 1 Kings chapter 18. These guys were sincere, weren't they? They were committed. I mean, they were willing to go the furthest uh, that you could possibly go to get their God to listen to them. But the fact is, is it does not matter how sincere you are if you are wrong. And that's why it's so important for us as Christians to know where we're going to spend eternity because we better be sure of it. 
before we embrace it all their way, but their God never answered. Their God never answered. Things change. Verse 30, and Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. And they all kind of moved in. And he repaired, man, so many cool things happening here. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy. Man, there's so many cool things happening here. He comes to the altar that was already there, but it was broken down from the true worship of God. And he repairs the brokenness of the past. <laughs> he takes 12 stones representing the entire tribes of Israel. Remember, we're dealing with a broken nation here. Ten and two, they're split up, and he's trying to bring their memory back. No, God created you as Israel. You're to, you should be together. Yeah. There shouldn't be this civil war happening. There shouldn't be this division. We're together here. And he rebuilds this altar, and I get chills just thinking about it. <laughs> and he says to them, he says, remember the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be their name, verse number 32. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. I always wonder if he maybe said the names of the tribes as he put them into that altar, you know? <laughs> Benjamin. Oh, man, that'd be cool. <laughs> and then the crowd, if they're from that tribe, they cheered when he said their name, right? You know? <laughs> Dan. Woo! Okay. <laughs> and he made a trench about the altar as great. Uh, I'm sorry. And he repaired the altar of the Lord's broken down. Yeah, verse number, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 32. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. Uh, I totally got it. it. makes sense now. And he put the wood in order and he cut the bullock in pieces. By the way, he, he, the whole day while they're trying to worship, he wasn't cutting that bullock in pieces. So he cut it up with everybody watching while they all gathered around. Now that would have been interesting. He cut it and he laid it on the wood and he said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar. Remember, he dug that trench. And he filled the trench also with water all around this, this thing. What a powerful moment. What a powerful moment. He repaired this old broken down altar that they used to use to worship the one true God. You know, maybe it's time for some of you this morning to repair your place of worship and get back to where you were before. Get back to where you were before. He uses these 12 stones and then they pour water all over the sacrifice. You know, remember it's still a drought. You always see that and you're like, where'd they get all these barrels of water from? Interestingly enough, Mount Carmel, the place that we believe that this took place was on a kind of a, a plateau about halfway up the mountain. There was a large flat area that it would have worked perfectly for large groups of people to be. But just over the ridge was the Mediterranean Sea. It's right there. So obviously, even in a drought, you can get water out of the salt sea and they would go down and probably that's what they did. They went down and filled it up and brought it back. There's also a brook in the area. It doesn't really matter where the water came from. It could have been from Ahab's personal stash. You know, he was the king after all. He might have brought a whole bunch with him in case he got thirsty. <laughs> but the point is, is that he's removing any possibility of a fraud is what he's doing. He's removing any possibility that, you know, he snuck a match down in there in that altar, you know. And uh, there he's removing any possibility that it could be a trick at all. Removes all the possibilities. And then he turns to God in prayer in verse number 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, here is his prayer. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel. Interesting, he didn't say Jacob like they used to always say. And of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel 
and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. His prayer here is simple, it is plain, it is short. It takes 20 seconds to say this prayer. How often do we think we have to pray this, you know, like 18-minute prayer for the Lord to hear us? Most prayers in the Bible were short and to the point. And in 20 seconds, he says so much here. He says, let it be known that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. The request that he makes here is that all would know that you alone are God and that he is acting on his instructions, that it's not his idea, Elijah saying. It's all about God. He is God's servant, and his desire here, he says that, Lord, you would bring repentance to their hearts, that you would turn, notice how he says that thou hast turned thy heart back again. And so he prays this prayer, and then the answer comes right away. And the, then the fire of the Lord fell. And consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. What an answer. You know, no little flicker of flame like, and everybody's like, oh, there's a fire started, you know. <laughs> Nothing like that. I mean, it was an immediate, that fire fell from heaven. I have no way to illustrate it. I found this photo. It's not actually a photo, you know what I mean? But uh, a drawing of what it possibly could be like. I mean, this is, this is nothing like it. First of all, I don't think he'd be staying that close as the fire fell from heaven. I mean, he's got his foot in the trench, so that's probably not very accurate here. But you see the people all around. There's the pots of water. I don't know what it would have been like, but it would have been amazing as God sent fire from heaven and just blew that place up. I mean, left a scorch mark on the ground. Nothing is there. All the water, the trench, everything is absolutely gone. And then, of course, this made a big impression on the people there. <laughs> Notice what happens to them. They fell to the ground, and they cried out, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. So interesting. I don't know if this is true or not, but the name Elijah. Elijah means uh, Yahweh, the Lord is the God. So it's almost like they were saying, Elijah, Elijah, Elijah. Honestly, that's the, the, the words they might have used. I don't know. I, I, I don't think that was it. But you know, it wasn't about him, right? It was about the Lord. And they're saying, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. Man, it's awesome. <laughs> and then uh, Elijah just dropped his mic and it was all done. I mean, it was, it was an amazing moment. He's like, what now? <laughs> Wow, God did an amazing thing, amazing thing. But then something else happens. After they kind of got a hold of themselves, figured out what was going on, people made decisions maybe for the Lord at that moment. I don't know if he had an invitation, you know. I don't know what all took place, but then something else goes down. Look at verse number 40. And Elijah said unto them, take the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they took them. And Elijah brought them to the brook Kishon, and he slew them there. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. You're like, this looks brutal, huh? The elimination of those 850 prophets of Baal, he eliminated them. It seems to us, of course, like a brutal act. But it was these same individuals that had been misleading God's people, his covenant people, for years and as Deuteronomy chapter 13 teaches them specifically, false prophets were not allowed to exist in company with God's people. And in God's knowledge and his sovereignty, this happened. We don't understand, by the way, all of the things that happened in the Old Testament, do we? But we do know this, God is the righteous judge, right? 
and he's in control of these things. And what a scene that would have been. I mean, it just seems, this is like one of the most brutal movie endings, I think, that you could ever imagine. But Elijah wasn't done yet. The story's not over yet. So let's go to 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to read 41 down through verse number 46 to close today. And Elijah said unto Ahab, watch out, I'm coming for you too. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> he said, get thee up. I knew some of you were still looking, finding, looking for the verses. Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. He says, I hear the rain is coming. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. He went up there. He had that view over the Mediterranean Sea. And he cast himself down upon the earth, and he put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, Go up now. His voice would have been muffled. His face was on the ground, right? <laughs> Go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up, and he looked. And there's nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. So seven times his servant went up and looked at the sea. While his head, go again, go again. <laughs> and it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea, like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, say unto Ahab. Remember, Ahab's eating and drinking, right? Prepare thy chariot, say to him, and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was made black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. So he, I mean, he got in his chariot and he, and he rolled. And then in verse number 46, I love this. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he girded up his loins. He tied up his garment. And he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. He beat him <laughs> in a race. <laughs> what a great ending, right? <laughs> I mean, God proved himself to Elijah and to Israel that day. He set himself apart. It's amazing testimony. He brought back the rain. And uh, all of these things happened here. And then he got up and he ran and he beat him to Jezreel. God gave him the strength that he needed. I think that's a great picture of the Christian life. If you're, if you're between two things and you're limping, you're not going anywhere with strength or with speed. But when you're with the Lord, you have all the strength you need. You're going to get somewhere. You're going to get where you need to go with the Lord and he's going to be there for you. God proved himself to Israel that day. And what an amazing testimony to the power of God. In this true story today, here's what we see. We see God's desire for repentance in our hearts and a singular focus on him. That's what this is all about. God desires that his people be solely focused on him, not allowing anything else to distract us from pursuing after Jesus Christ. Here's the big take home for today. The prophets of Baal, they were sincere and they were devout. They had the majority, right? They had the majority of the people. They had the majority of the prophets. They had the support of the king, yet they were completely and totally wrong. Do you know what that tells us? We need to ask ourselves, do you know that you are right <laughs> in the way that you're living your life? Do you know that you are on the right path? How long will you go between two opinions. James chapter 1 verse 8 tells us that a double-minded man is unstable, halting, limping in all of his ways. The question for today is who are you serving today? If God be God, serve him. If success, if money, the things of this world be the God that you should serve, then serve it. Serve it. My goal for us today is that we would be Christians who commit to choosing Christ. 
Christians who don't try to live life with one foot in the world and one foot in our faith. And would you firmly ground your heart? Would you firmly ground your decisions and your life in him? Because at that moment, I believe, is when the showers of blessing can come. That rain, those showers of blessings that came and swept over the nation of Israel came following repentance. It came when the people said, you know what, you're right. The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is God. He is the one that I should pursue. And I believe that when we make God our central focus, when we make him the pursuit of our heart, then we'll recognize the blessings that come our way. We'll see those things happen. We'll see him move in mysterious ways. We'll see him provide for us in difficulty. And it's because our heart has been proven to be pure and focused on him. That's what Elijah said. Remember when he prayed to God, he said, you know that I'm, I, I'm pursuing after you, God. You know that I'm your servant and I'm serving you. And then God made stuff happen. <laughs> What an awesome story, huh? I love, I love this passage. And I, I tried to get a flamethrower for the weekend, but it, the rental was too high. So we couldn't make that happen. And the tap studio said no. But uh, a lot of great truths here. And I hope the Lord spoke it to you. I want to take a moment of invitation now. We hope today's message was help to your relationship with God. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue His will for your life.